0: TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. The Chris Hedges Report How to Defeat the Billionaire Class. Imagine a woman running and winning in 2013 as socialist for the city council in a town that is dominated by some of the world's largest corporations. Seattle, Washington is home to internet retailer Amazon. Costco, Microsoft, the coffee chain Starbucks, and six more Fortune 500s. Kshama Sawant helped lead the fight in 2014 that made Seattle the first major American city to mandate a $15-an-hour minimum wage. She and her allies took on Jeff Bezos and pushed through a business tax that increased city revenues by an estimated $230 million a year. Here are excerpts of an inspiring conversation between Shama Sawant and Chris Hedges, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, author and former foreign correspondent for The New York Times. Chris Hedges interviewed Sawant on May 27, 2022, on his program on the Real News Network. Here's his introduction.
1: In December, socialist alternative leader and Seattle City Council member Shama Sawant defeated a well-funded campaign by the city's business community to remove her in a recall vote. Since being elected to office in 2013, Sawant and her socialist party have been locked in a bitter battle against the city's moneyed elites, which has poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into a corporate pack called A Better Seattle and saturated television and digital platforms with negative advertising. She and her party have been denied ads by Google, YouTube, and Hulu. Amazon alone spent over $3 million to defeat her when she ran for office in 2019. Sawan is hated because she is effective. She helped lead the fight in 2014 that made Seattle the first major American city to mandate a $15 an hour minimum wage. Following a three year struggle against one of the richest men in the world, Jeff Bezos, and his political establishment, she and her allies pushed through a tax on big business that increased city revenues by an estimated $210 to $240 million a year. She was part of the movement that led to Seattle's successful ban on school year evictions of school children, their families, and school employees. She was one of the sponsors of a bill that protects tenants from being evicted at the end of their term leases, requiring landlords to provide tenants with the right to renew their leases and prohibiting landlords from evicting tenants for non-payment of rent if the rent was due during the COVID emergency and the renter could not pay due to financial hardship. Joining me to discuss her nearly decade-long battle against the billionaire class, and the lessons we can take from her successful struggle, is Shama Sawant. Uh, So Shama, the campaign to remove you from office was dirty, uh, it was highly funded, but rather than go on the defensive, uh, you used the recall campaign to collect over 15,000 signatures uh, to establish rent control. Can you talk about the role of the Democratic Party, especially during your efforts to raise the minimum wage, to protect people from evictions, to increase taxes on large corporations such as Amazon? Where were the Democrats?
2: Yeah, I mean, just to uh, make sure all your viewers know, you know, Seattle is the electorate. The ordinary people are extremely progressive, and it's, it's, a, it's you could say it's a left-leaning city for the most part. Uh, and the city council has nine council members. I am one socialist and uh, the rest of the eight uh, have always been Democrats from as long as I know and certainly as long as I've been on the council, you know, since uh, I took office in January 2014. And one of the first things that happened when I took office was these two prominent Democrats, Democratic council members who came into my office, sat me down and said, well, it's all well and good. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, I don't remember the exact quotes, but paraphrasing. That is all well and good. You roused the rabble and got elected as a socialist. But we're here to tell you that City Hall runs on our terms and you're not winning any wage increase, let alone $15 an hour. And less than six months later, we had won the $15 an hour minimum wage. So that about sums it up for the Democrats. And as you indicated, Chris, it has never changed. It has never been different. It's not like they were opposed to $15 an hour, but they were forced to concede and then they were morally persuaded. then be on the side of working people no it has never been that way as a matter of fact even the more self-described progressives not the overt corporate democrats even they have played a role which is actually contrary to the interests of working people and every step of the way they have placed obstacles in the path uh, of of winning these victories and so every such victory not just 15 dollars an hour but the amazon tax that you mentioned all the renters rights victories that we have won Uh, unprecedented renters' rights victories that we have won. Every single victory has come about despite the either overt or backroom opposition and tactics by the Democrats. And the reason we have won is because we mobilized ordinary people, union members to fight for it.
1: And yet the rhetoric of the Democratic Party is aligned with your campaign. I mean, for instance, Biden, uh, when he ran for the presidency, promised uh, that... uh, Uh, he would work to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. He also promised to cancel student debt. Uh, And yet once in power, they work at cross purposes from certainly what they have espoused during campaigns.
2: Oh, absolutely. And in fact, it's quite spectacular now what we are seeing from the consciousness in ordinary people understanding that the Biden administration has completely failed them and you don't have to take the word of a socialist. You can see the approval ratings for Biden are at uh, as low as they've ever been throughout his presidency. And uh, the fact that he has, hit, no, it's not just him, but you know the democratic establishment, including his regime, have completely failed in passing any kind of progressive program, whether it is $15 an hour or Medicare for all, as you said, he promised to cancel student debt and not even... A fraction of that measure has been carried out. And so it's no wonder, you know, this is exactly the reason why now we are staring into potential uh, clobbering of the Democrats by the Republicans and by the right wing in the midterm elections. And and as I said, you know, it's not just me saying it. If you look at the news, I mean, the analysis from uh, even Democratic Party media strongholds like CNN and New York Times, they're having to. Be very frank about this, and they're they're clearly admitting it that actually the Democrats are headed into a real slaughter at the midterms, and that it primarily lies at the doorstep of the Biden administration, getting you know just really failing to get anything done. And I think this is the this is the thing that we have to talk about: is that the Democrats failing to deliver on any of the progressive agenda that they say that they support, that they espouse, uh, the you know sort of verbal support for. What does that actually lead to? That leads to greater and greater openings for right populism to have its own day. You know, look at the attacks on LGBTQ rights in various states, including Florida. Look at the the acts that is going to come down very likely on Roe v. Wade. All of this should be a warning sign that the left needs to build itself.
1: You have been targeted by the far right. Uh, your campaign volunteers were harassed and threatened. Uh, the former police Union President Ron Smith called you for you to be handcuffed uh, as Seattle police actively worked uh, in your recall. Uh, And I wanted to ask about this clash with right wing populism. Is this uh, inevitable for the left, especially, as you said, uh, as the Biden administration fails to provide uh, meaningful reforms?
2: I think uh, fundamentally the clash between the very wealthy, you know, big business, the capitalist Wall Street interests and the working class and any of us who have any vision of social justice and a different kind of society than what's on offer, that clash, uh, in other words, the class, um, you know, the class divide or class struggle, that is inevitable and how it plays out will depend, as, as we were just discussing earlier, on how the forces of the left, genuine left, and how the forces of the working class develop. So the extent to which right populism succeeds is a testament to the failures of the Democratic Party and still the infancy of the left on, uh, you know, the U.S. left. And so, in other words, how much the right succeeds and how much of a clash there will be is really dependent on how the balance of forces adjusts itself. So in other words, let me just put it this way. If the agenda for a living wage adjusted for inflation for medicare for all for cancelling student debt for a real green new deal policy agenda all of this was actually put forward by the democrats there is no question that they would be able to win over a big section of the voting population that will end up either staying out of the elections or will end up voting for republicans in the right wing I mean, there is a genuinely dangerous and reactionary current in every, um, you know, on every continent. The degree to which they get traction, that entirely depends on what else is on offer. In other words, it is precisely because people are so disgusted with the connections between the Democratic Party and big business. And they're also clear about the Republicans to some degree, but that you know they're they're searching for answers. Working people in America right now are searching for answers. And in fact, it should be noted in this context that it is because of the disappointments on the electoral arena, the disappointments from the many of the BLM leaders being unable to deliver on the promise of this enormous Black Lives Matter movement that happened in 2020. It is because of all these reasons that now young people are testing the avenue of labor organizing. And so it is important to note that it's in the midst of this complete failure uh, and disarray that the Democrats are in that the workers at the Amazon warehouse on Staten Island were able to win the first ever union uh, in Amazon. And the reason they were able to win is precisely, again, they used class struggle methods to convince their co-workers.
1: The Democratic Party for a long time has uh, essentially attempted to replace a political agenda with woke soundbites. I know you call them the woke Democrats and cancel culture. I wondered what effect this is having on the political landscape.
2: I think this is a very uh, dangerous uh, development. And I think we have to, um, it, is, it is actually incumbent on the left to think through these things and have honest, if uncomfortable debates. In other words, what I mean is that the potential for A multiracial working class solidarity in order to actually fight for and win a society that is free of uh, racial and uh, sexual oppression and economic exploitation is very much there. I mean, look at the fact that over 20 million people marched in Black Lives Matter. I mean, that is not out of nowhere. That is because the vast majority of the American working people, young people, can be won over and are actually already won over to the ideas of a society that genuinely respects uh, everybody around us. So, you know, it's, it's it, again, it's, it's no coincidence that at this point, the support for Roe v. Wade is two thirds of the American population. And yet Roe v. Wade is on the chopping block. In, in other words, we have, to, we have to make, you know, we have to be very, very clear in our minds that these regressive attacks from the right wing, the attacks on women's rights, the attacks on LGBTQ rights, the attacks on the black community, they are not coming because ordinary people are just irredeemably racist and sexist. That is absolutely not the case. In fact, it is the exact opposite, that there has been a huge shift, progressive shift on the questions of racism and sexism in our society, as evidenced by the size of the BLM marches, by the fact of how much support um, abortion and reproductive rights have, how much support LGBTQ rights have. And in spite of that, we are seeing this, this kind of relentless attack from the right wing that shows you that it's not the ordinary people's consciousness that is the barrier. The barrier right now, the obstacle for progressive change is the leadership that's on offer. And it's not only electoral leadership in terms of the Democratic Party and even the squad, but it's also leadership of the labor movement, leadership of social movements like BLM and rank and file workers and rank and file activists. We have the task of uh, opening up genuine debates in which we bring these points out and explain that that kind of identity politics, sort of the woke, corporatized identity politics, is not the answer. It is, that is not the way to win over working-class people, actually. That is handing a weapon to the right wing on a golden platter.
1: Well, in fact, the movements that have been successful, including your own, have challenged the traditional hierarchy. You, the Democratic Party, Staten Island, there were no major labor organizations that supported them. Uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, in fact, when uh, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, these figures visited places like Ferguson, uh, they were uh, booed. We're watching a kind of uh, revolt against the uh, established liberal elite. I wonder if you could talk about that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely right, Chris. And I'm glad you mentioned that, that, you know, that again, the examples that you gave, once again, are illustrating the increased political clarity that exists among millions of young people, that actually these leaders are there just for photo ops, they are there to co-opt our movements, and in fact, we should be wary of them. And one of the reasons the Amazon labor union succeeded uh, at the JFK warehouse in winning this historic first ever union election in this trillion dollar corporation headed by uh, the you know one of the richest men in the world, Jeff Bezos, is precisely because they did not use what i would call the you know business unionism basically the conventional ideas that have existed in the labor movement in the in the democratic party and uh, even in, even among social movement and ngo leaders that uh, you know the way to uh, organize uh, for change and even to win a union election or to win a good contract is to tinker at the margins by uh, this sort of mythical idea of you know the a few labor leaders at the bargaining table and then not mobilizing the rank and file. Uh, You know, the ALU did not agree with all of that. And it was because they decided to build independently. And then they did many things that most labor leaders haven't done in the last four decades, which is one, they led with concrete demands. You know, they they didn't talk about the union as an abstract entity. They made it very clear to the workers in the warehouse and workers made it clear to workers in the warehouse that We need a union because don't you agree that we need to win a $30 an hour starting wage? Don't you agree that we need job security? Don't you think that we deserve a say in scheduling? Don't you think that we should get full-time hours if we want them? You know, it was through concrete issues that they were able to build uh, this kind of solidarity, you know, shop floor solidarity where You know, you may not not get workers to agree on every single thing on this plan and on every ideological issue. But if you can get agreement on a core group of concrete demands, and that is a solid basis for building a unified struggle. And then the other thing that they did right was that they uh, made it very clear that the bosses are not on your side. You know, so they didn't cultivate illusions that somehow they could convince management and Jeff Bezos to be nice. Uh, just by making morally persuasive arguments, they said, no, they're going to fight against the union tooth and nail. And so that is the kind of clarity we need to bring forward if we are to win any such victories. And and we can see that people are ready for that kind of thing. But um, I am unfortunately not hopeful that the most of the crop of current labor leaders are going to uh, carry that kind of change out. So in other words, If we want to do what ALU did and, you know, win, replicate those victories, not only in other Amazon warehouses, but if we want to uh, win a historic union struggle and then on top of that, you know, win a strong contract for workers, then we will need a rank-and-file revival of the American labor movement in the first place.
1: So, Shama, the Democrats focus on likely voters. Um, That's not been your tactic. You focus on those who are often part of the 80 million eligible voters who don't cast ballots, including immigrants, those living in public housing, marginalized community. I know you distribute campaign material in, I think, eight languages. Uh, And this has been a tactic that's worked very well for you. In fact, in one heavily East African building, uh, I think turnout was nearly 10 times uh, what it was in the general election. I I wondered if you could describe how this works.
2: I think this tactic that you're uh, correctly talking about, Chris, and which, as you correctly said, it stands in stark contrast to the approach of the Democratic Party, I think that difference flows from the fundamental political differences in the first place. In other words, the whole ethos of the Democratic Party is uh, that they're not going to be overtly uh, and viciously pro-big business in the way that the, Republicans are, you know, the Republican Party is in its very rhetoric very openly pro-big business. They also don't have a problem being openly racist, you know, openly going against the rights of LGBTQ people, for example, as they're doing in Florida, uh, and openly attacking reproductive rights, all of that. So, you know, the Democrats are not like overtly against the rights of ordinary people in that way but their role for the ruling class, they're also, you know, their primary task is to be useful for the ruling class under capitalism. But the way they do it is by speaking from both sides of their mouth. For example, they will talk about $15 an hour. Every so often you will see Pramila Jayapal, the head of the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus, tweet out saying it's time for Medicare for All. Uh, But then when it actually comes time to fight for it, then they will... Uh, you know, they will actually use their progressive uh, status to give cover for the Biden regime, which is what they have done every step of the way, because that is their agenda. And there's this disconnect between the rhetoric they espouse and their act the actual role that they play that is in service of the ruling class. Because of that, they're not eager to actually mobilize uh, the kind of voters, as you said, that, that we mobilized, where, you know, we would not actually have won our elections had we not mobilized a whole section of the population that is typically disenfranchised not because they don't have the legal right to vote but because there's nothing for them to vote for and nobody nobody cares whether they vote or not because they are not the people those democrats are there to fight for and so because of that difference they don't actually want to mobilize those same voters that we mobilize because you know when you go out there and say hey you know uh, as east african working class people as workers as union members, you need to not only come out and vote for our campaign, but we need you to enjoy, join us in door knocking. You, we need you in order to win $15 an hour, the Amazon tax or renter's rights. When you do that, what you're doing is raising the expectations, the political expectations of all those people who are mobilized. You're giving them the hope that actually if you... Uh, vote for this, and and then you fight alongside this elected representative, we can actually win concrete victories. Now, see, the Democrats don't want to do that because they have no intention of actually winning those concrete victories for you. They just want you to think about that enough so that the, the Democrats are able to win elections. But ultimately, their goal is to maintain... This uh, un- unsteady equilibrium, where they are somewhat to the left of the Republican Party, but their main goal is to be sort of the gatekeeper against gen- the genuine left interests and genuine working class interests. So, because of that fundamental difference between what what role they want to play and what are uh, uh, you know why why we are politicals as socialists, you see these tactical differences emerge as well. In, in reference to the specific tactic you mentioned, Chris, where we have mobilized, you know, in in historic numbers, we have mobilized working class people and communities of color, vulnerable communities like never before. In fact, not only did we do that, we actually have carried out voter registration drives like this city has never seen before. But because of all that, and because the ruling class in Seattle has seen how powerful that is, is that we don't just win votes, but then we go and fight, use our office to win concrete victories. Now, they have failed in Defeating us in two re-elections, they failed in recalling us last year, and now they are now resorting to trying to gerrymander our district. You know, so our our Democrats complain about Republicans gerrymandering, which uh, of course they should, because Republicans do have a gerrymandering agenda. But now it's the Democrats in Seattle who are trying to gerrymander our district here uh, in order to cut working-class people out of this district.
1: Well, that's how they removed Dennis Kucinich from his House seat, and it was the Democratic Party that did it. Exactly. I want to talk about two things just in the last couple minutes. Let's assume that this cultish Republican Party does take power in the midterms and the stagnation of the Biden administration uh, results in another Trump presidency or a wannabe Trump presidency. How are we going to uh, resist?
2: Yes, first of all, uh, in terms of what could happen in the midterms, I I mean, the most likely scenario is unless unless something unusual develops between now and the voting uh, period, uh, we should expect an absolute shellacking, as I said before, of the Democrats. This is what all political analysts are expecting. So the prospect not only of the right wing as a whole making gains is a very real one. The prospect of a Trump re- in res- resurgency is also a very real one, unfortunately, at this point. That's how, that's how dangerous the whole debacle of the Biden regime has been. And so the only way to cut across that and uh, you know, create an, a genuine alternative to right populism that could unite the majority of working class people in America is through working class politics. It was. It's not for nothing that Bernie Sanders got a resounding response to his campaign platform every single time that he ran. It's in red states that you've seen not only a strong, a positive response for a working class campaign program like that of Bernie Sanders, but it's in a red state, West Virginia, where you saw One of the most successful and historic labor uprisings happened in our times, which was the struggle of the teachers in 2018, the West Virginia educators who won an enormous victory by standing up not only to the Republican-led legislature in the state, but also to the leaders of their own unions who were not willing to take a fighting approach to winning a strong contract and to maintaining solidarity across the board you know among public school employees so it was rank and file leaders and rank and file members of the educators union who did that so that plus the example of starbucks workers now in nationwide unionization drives you know in so many uh, hundreds of stores and the strike actions that starbucks workers are starting to take at the store level without any political leadership they're themselves re- recognizing that the only way to push back against the union busting and the anti worker intimidation and threats is to take a work stoppage actions and strike actions and the example of the amazon labor union winning a union election you know all of this is telling us well the way to actually push back against corporate politics, push back against the failures of the Democrats, and to defeat the rise of the right wing is to build struggles of the working class where we are able to unite a majority of working people on a common working class based program. And in that process, the labor movement, you know, and rank and file workers have a huge historic role to play. So the union drives in major corporations like Amazon and Starbucks are the most crucial thing right now. Absolutely, without any question, they are the most crucial thing right now. And if we can bring, you know, a real success, not only in terms of the number of Starbucks stores that win their union elections, we can't stop there. But in terms of winning strong contracts for store after store in Starbucks. If we can unionize Amazon warehouse after Amazon warehouse across the nation, where tens of thousands of workers start getting unionized and they start winning strong contracts, winning concrete demands like $30 an hour, that will show how a shift can be made. And that is precisely the shift we need to make. But none of this is going to be automatic. We will need courageous, rank and file leadership in order to make that happen and also the political clarity that a labor leadership that is tied at the hip to the democrats is not going to make it's not going to be the force of change the force of change will be a militant a revival of the militant labor movement and that can only be done on the basis of tens of thousands of workers understanding that we need a democratic rank and file based union movement
1: great i want to thank the real news network and its production team You can find me at
0: chrishedges.substack.com. That was Chris Hedges closing his conversation with Seattle City Council member Shama Sawant. They spoke on May 27, 2022. Hedges is the author of many books, among them America, the Farewell Tour and Trauma and Transformation in an American Prison. Hedges is host of the Chris Hedges Report on the Real News Network, and he publishes columns on shiapost.com. Please look up the full 34-minute interview and support both networks and Chris Hedges. The title of this conversation with Krama Sawant is How to Defeat the Billionaire Class. You can find links on the website of tuc that's tuc my name is Maria geleiden thank you for listening